Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. And for so many of us, we're going through tough times in our marriages. Yeah, this most powerful relationship that we have on earth can also be the most destructive, the most painful, the most difficult. Sometimes our marriages are bad news. But this next message series that I'm starting today is all about finding the good news of Jesus even in your marriage. You know, we love the the beautiful, heavily filtered, beautifully set, you know, wedding and marriage pictures. That's what Instagram is for, right? That's what Facebook is for, is to show off how beautiful our marriages are and how wonderful everything is and how everything's perfect and beautiful and lens flares and butterflies and, uh, you know, that's not real marriage, is it? Is that what real marriage is like? I mean, it kind of feels like it starts off that way, but real marriage, you know, a marriage that lasts a long time, marriage can be hard. Can can I get an amen from anyone? It it can be hard. I'm I'm the preacher, and I'm telling you, marriage can be hard. It's okay to admit that. I mean, the kids will push you to the limit, right? And her family will butt in, right? And his job will take the heck over, and the bills will never stop. And there's tension and there's pressure and she's nagging and he's angry and it just it just seems like before you know it you're button heads and and you're confused and all of a sudden before you know it you're just living in the same house but you don't even hardly recognize each other anymore she's not the same person he's not the same person that you were in those wedding those beautiful wedding pictures back in the day Marriage can be hard. What went wrong here? What went wrong? Wasn't it real? Or has this all been just a big sham? Listen, nobody, nobody gets married planning for a divorce, right? No one walks down the aisle to say, I do, thinking, okay, this will last about five years and then I'm out, right? Nobody gets married thinking that. Everybody thinks, oh, this is true love. It's going to last forever. It'll be happily ever after, right? Yet, 50% of marriages end in divorce, right? 50%, statistically, you got about a 50-50 chance. So how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that, how do you know in 1990, that you're going to make it 31 years. Huh? How do you know? How do you know? Is it just kind of a gamble? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, isn't that pretty? I asked her this week. I said, hey, where's that picture again? She's like, I'm not telling you. You're getting a marriage series ready. <laughs> so how do you know? How do you know that it's going to last? Is it just a gamble? Is it a crapshoot? I mean, are you just rolling the dice and hoping that it's all gonna work out okay? Or, or is there some, you know, biblical nugget, some secret truth that if you can just discover and apply this one thing, that if you just put this one thing, a secret biblical formula into practice, that it'll set everything right again, you know, back to the way it was on wedding day. Can you just apply that and make it good? No. 
There's not. There's not some kind of reset button, okay? So if you came here today hoping for some sort of reset button, I hate to break your hearts, but the first blank on your page is this. This series isn't a cure-all. This series is not a cure-all. It's not a control-alt-delete and reboot everything and make it better. It's not a magic fix, but there is hope. This series is about rediscovering the hope for your marriage. I do believe that no matter how bad it may get, no matter how tense it is, no matter how many arguments you've had, no matter how bad she is, no matter how awful he is, I do believe there is hope for your relationship. He wants you, God wants you to experience a marriage that is joyful and life-giving and is a blessing to you and to all of your family. He wants you to have that, and there is hope for that for you. But the reality is we all have our own emotional gas tank, right? And we all get to the point where it feels depleted. It's empty, you know, and so this fakes us out really good. When we get to, to where we're empty on the emotional gas tank, we start to feel like, well, I need to get what I need to get. I need to get what I deserve. You know, that this is all about me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm getting, y'all, y'all could just come up here and do the blanks for me. <laughs> and what it leads us to do is it leads us to start taking advantage it leads us to start leaning too heavily on the other. It leads us to start uh, abusing the relationship a little bit. And what we tend to do when we get low on the emotional gas tank is we tend to just start trashing out our marriage. We start treating it like it's ours and like nobody cares. And we start flinging insults. We start flinging accusations. We start, it's just like we're crumbling up old candy wrappers and uh, McDonald's bags and all kinds of stuff. And we're just trashing it out, trashing out our marriage and making it full of garbage instead of full of love and what it should be. And then after years of doing this, after years, maybe decades of doing this, what we hope for is a cure-all. We hope that God's going to come along and just fix it like Thanos snapping his finger, right? Just fix it for us, boom, and it's all better miraculously all of a sudden. But I hate to break it to you, but listen to me. I want you to listen to me on this. God is not your cosmic janitor. D do you hear me? God's not your janitor. Why you treat God as if you were the boss and he's the hired help? That you can be off doing whatever you want to do and he shows up sight unseen and cleans up all your mess so you can come back and just trash it out again. Is that who God is? Come on, is that who God is? God is not your cosmic janitor. Stop treating him like he's the hired help, like he's the cleaning service. You know who God is. He's not your janitor. He's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He is the creator of all of this. He created the entire thing. Have you ever stood at night looking up into a beautiful star-filled sky and been at awe of the wonder of the massive universe. He breathed that into existence. The most beautiful sunrise, the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen, he made that. The mountains, the valleys, 
the beach, the rivers, the plants, the animals. God created all of that. It's all his. This whole thing is his. He is over it all. He's the boss of it all because he's God. He's God. And once you see him for who he really is, you realize finally who you really are. Not God. You you hear me? Did you realize that? You're not God. Once you see God for who he is, how awesome he is, how massive he is, you realize how small you really are. You realize that you're not the centerpiece of this whole story after all. That you're really just a bit player in his big drama that is unfolding in our universe. And once you really see who he is, how incredible he is, and once you realize who you are, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm small. Who am I to demand my way? Who am I to get what I think I deserve? What do I deserve? Because frankly, I'll tell you what you deserve. What you deserve right now, today, this morning, I don't care if you're a non-Christian or a Christian, I don't care if you've been raised in church every single Sunday of your entire life, or today is your first time to ever be at church, what you deserve right now before God is immediate death, immediate punishment, because you are a sinner, a criminal against a holy God. You're, you have lived a life of rebellion. I have lived a life of rebellion against God. I'm a rebel against him, against the king, a traitor against the king, and so I deserve swift death and punishment. But God loved me so much that even though I was just an insignificant bit player and a rebel against him, he loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to come here and to live and to die on my behalf. Jesus took my swift death and punishment himself. God took all of the sin that I had ever committed and he blamed Jesus for it. And God allowed Jesus to die for my sin He died in my place. He paid my price that I owed on the cross. And he went to the grave dead and cold. And three days later, he rose again. And today he lives in me so that I can respond to him. I can live a life in response to him. Once I catch a glimpse of that, once I really see that, I'm not gonna demand my way anymore. I'm gonna do everything I can to to, to declutter my life and to get all the garbage out of the way so I can remain in his presence. I I just wanna be with him. I just wanna see him more. Once you really catch a glimpse of it, you can't help but wanna get your junk together so that you can walk with him in love, grace, peace, and strength, and joy, and all of that. Come on, anybody with me on that? Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you being here and helping me out. I need a little help with this. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) Still the only one. Thank you. Uh, he He does not deserve your trash. He deserves your abject worship because that's who he is. He is God. Why do we hold back from him? Why do we give him our trash? Once you really see it, you'll do whatever you got to do to die to yourself and let him live through you. Once you get a little small taste of his greatness in your life, you don't want your own whatever you deserve. You just want him. So you're willing to let go. You're willing to, to let go of anything you've got to so you can grab a hold of more 
of him. And that's where the hope is. That's where the hope for your marriage is. It's not in grabbing hold of it and manipulating it to get it right the way you think you want it. It's in letting go and letting him be who he wants to be in your life. And that's not a quick fix. Okay, it's a journey. It's a process. It's a, it's a path that you travel. And it requires patience. It requires time. It requires discerning. It requires living wisely. Right? In Ephesians 5, we're told to be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. Think about this for a second. Be careful how you live. What if you traded out the word live for the word married? Be careful how you are married. Don't be married like fools, but be married like those who are wise. And what if this was actually a verse about, you know, the most important part of your life, your marriage? Be careful how you're married. Don't be married like fools, but be married like those who are wise. In Proverbs, it says, he who trusts himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Yeah, I mean, so much of our married lives we spend foolishly trashing it out damaging it hurting it and leading it the wrong way putting our hands on it and trying to order it the way we want but this is the next blank on your page real marriage demands wisdom real marriage demands wisdom you got to be on this you can't take it for granted anymore you got to stop trashing it out and stop treating it like it's yours you got to walk wisely and live godly because I believe God wants for you a marriage of joy and peace and happiness. He wants for you a marriage that brings life to you and to people around you. He wants for you to live a marriage of longevity, a marriage like this. Look at this one right here. Look at this. Boom. David and Deborah Lynn right there, right there in the back of the room. Look at that, look at that couple right there. Look at all the hair right there. Mike, and what was that, 1978, 1978, 1970, how many years now? I can't do the math in my head. 42, 42 years, come on, 42 years, that's pretty amazing. And I gotta say, that's a marriage that brings life to people around them. That's all right, go ahead. Uh, look at this one, Bert and Aubrey Long right here. They've only been married for a few years, but like the Lynn's marriage, I can see Jesus all over them. Uh, I, I mean, they are always loving Jesus, loving others, and they are serving the body of Christ. I see it. Their marriage brings joy and peace to me, if nobody else. That's why I'm smiling real big in the middle of their prayer. Look at this one, Tom and Karen Stigler. Look at all that. Look at all that. I wish I could zoom in on that. That is some hair, man, from the 70s right there. Karen, you fell in love with that hair? <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, and that was in 1970. Five. They got you beat. 
by two years, 19, three years, 1975. Come on, 1975, that's amazing. Look, we got some uh, more recent ones too. Steve and Samantha Richards who got married just a, a few years ago. Uh, and I see some of their family right back there in the back. Um, who else? We got some other, other newlyweds for, this, for us old folks. Uh, Lexi and Nathaniel Newberry right here. Look at their, look how beautiful they are. Uh, Nathaniel plays in our band. Lexi is helping out here all the time. But I'll show you one that really scares me a little bit. And here's John and Janet Crawford right here. Where did John go? Is he in the other room back there? Uh, look at that. Um, you know, it's funny. A minute ago, I was, I was saying that, you know, Karen, you fell in love with that hair. But John's hair about the same. Uh, different color, but about the same. Uh, I don't know what happened to him a long time ago. Something bad really happened to him a long time. Look at, look at how pretty Janet is, smiling real big. Uh, yeah, I love that. One more. One more. This one, this one will get you. Aaron Leah Hawk. Haven't changed a bit. Haven't changed not one little bit in that amount of time. How, what, do you know how long they've been married? They're here. I don't know where they are right now. Aaron, are you in the next room being, are you in the mom's room? Are they going to come out here? No, who knows? But they ha look at them. They haven't changed a bit. They're a good-looking couple. God wants you to have a marriage designed with purpose, with meaning, with power. And if you want to experience that meaning, that purpose, that power, we live it wisely. You got to know what it's really all about. You got to know why God gave you this marriage and how you are to live it. So God does have a purpose for your marriage. Yes, even your marriage. God has a purpose for your marriage. So I want you to look at it, and it's going to be on the screen here. But it's also on the little page. Everybody grab your little page that we uh, handed out. Grab that page. I want you to look at this in your hand. So grab that page. Go ahead, grab the page. There you go. And I think it's probably about two-thirds of the, or about a third of the way down. You'll see Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It'll be on the screen too, but look at it on your page. It says this, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, hold on just a second right here. So Paul is writing this, and just like Jesus, when Jesus says this exact words, Jesus actually quotes this exact thing. Paul and Jesus are both quoting something else. Does anybody remember what they're quoting here? They're quoting Genesis, right? They've, they've connected us all the way back to the very beginning, that God creates marriage, and this is why. A man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. Are you looking on your page? Then the two are united into one. So that's crazy, and God set that up at the very beginning of everything. It's at the very beginning of Genesis. God creates it all and then puts the man and the woman together. And then Paul says these words that really crystallize and clarify what it's all about. The very next thing he says is this is a great mystery. Everybody look at your spouse and say, you are a great mystery. You are a great mystery. Yeah, you are a great mystery. I still ain't got you figured out yet. I love a good mystery. Oh, I love a good mystery. That's really cool. I'm going to say that in the next service. <laughs> so marriage is a mystery. 
Anybody want to amen that? Amen. Marriage is a great mystery, but it is an, what's this word right here? It's a what? Okay, so we talked about this a little bit last week. It's, it's a picture. An illustration is a picture drawn to clearly articulate something. Marriage is an illustration. On your page, circle that word illustration. Your marriage is an illustration. It's a picture God is drawing of the way Christ and the church are one. Your mysterious marriage, your up and down marriage, your marriage that you've had since the 2000s or since the 90s or since the 80s or since the 70s, it's mysterious, but God's drawing a picture of something. He's drawing a picture of the way Christ and the church are one. What this means is that the longer we're married, the more we're supposed to see something else, something bigger, something more than just the one that we're married to. We're supposed to see in our marriages, what are we supposed to see? We're supposed to, yeah, our marriage is a picture that's supposed to show us I'll give you a hint. It's right about here. Right about here. We're supposed to see what? Christ. We're supposed to see the way Christ and the church are one. God is putting you together. He's in the process of putting you together with himself through Christ. That's what salvation is. It's this thing where you, you surrender your life to him, and then you spend the rest of your life coming together with Jesus. That process is called sanctification. It's part of your salvation. And so marriage is a picture of this. It's a picture of your relationship, my relationship with Christ. In fact, I like the way Tim Keller describes it. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, and he says this. He says, the more we understand marriage, the more we understand God. So your marriage is an illustration of your relationship with God. No pressure, right? No pressure, no big deal. In other words, here's the next blank on your page. Real marriage mirrors the gospel. Real marriage mirrors the gospel. When you come to Jesus, you come through the gospel. But the gospel was never intended to be simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. Am I right? The gospel isn't just this gate that you walk through and, okay, I'm done, I got my card. The gospel is a pattern of living for all believers, okay? Sure, you get your justification. That's your get-out-of-hell-free card. But you also get that sanctification where you're in this pattern of repentance and faith, repentance and faith. That's what the gospel produces in our lives, repentance and faith. And when do you stop repenting and turning to him, Mark? Never. Right? Not until you're with him face to face. As long as you're in this body, in this world, my pattern as a believer is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. The way God deals with me is he shows me what's up in my life and says, I hate this part of your life. I sacrificed my son to kill off that part of your life. Why are you holding on to that part of your life? Let's get rid of it. And so I repent. That means I turn from that 
and I trust him. I turn to him. That's repentance and faith. That's the pattern of the gospel in our lives. The gospel changes you and it keeps changing you. It should always be changing you as you press in deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel. And it turns you into something that you weren't right it changes you into something new so it it reframes the way you think about everything for example philippians 2 says don't be selfish i mean i could probably stop right there i mean probably for about half of our marital problems i could just say don't be selfish amen let's go home but what the gospel produces in us, what Jesus produces in us is being unselfish. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but instead be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Be selfless, not selfish. Can you think of a, of a harder way to learn that than to be married? I mean, you have to learn that in marriage. You have to learn to look out for the other one first. Take care of her needs first. Provide for him first. That's what marriage looks like, and that's what Jesus is trying to produce in us. Do you see the illustration here? Let's look at another one, Romans 15. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. You know, I mean, it's really easy. It's really, really easy, especially when you get on, on our stage of marriage, you know, the, the, the side where the kids have all grown up and gone off. You know what I'm talking about. They live somewhere far away. You wish they were closer. You do whatever you can to get them with you. We're, we're, we're going to be doing that today. We're going to get in the car after the second service, and uh, we're gonna, not going to get out of the car again until we're in Florida with our daughter this evening because we want to be close to them. But it's real easy when you're you know, at home and, and you're alone, and it's just the two of you. After all those years of activity and crazy and spending the money and you know all that stuff, and now it kind of all settles down, and it's easy to men to get really settled in your ways you know it's real easy to do what you want you know who has the remote control any given evening in your house <laughs> you know she wants to watch one thing i got the remote control am i right i mean it's little like that but maybe it's it's big too i mean it's really easy to look out for what you want and how to provide for yourself but the gospel changes us to where we don't think of ourselves first, but we're focused on others. And where should we be more acutely focused on someone else than in our marriage? One more example, Galatians 5 says this, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your spouse as yourself. I mean, it's hard enough for us to do this in our workplace. It's hard enough to do this at school. It's hard enough to, for us to do it in our neighborhood. But dude, if we're not doing it anywhere else, we gotta start doing it in our own homes. Love your spouse 
as you love yourself. Consider him, consider her more important than yourself. Their needs come first. You're like, I don't know anybody that lives that way, and you're probably right because that's not human nature. But the gospel changes us into a peculiar people, right? A group of people who realize that this isn't about us, that I hate to burst your bubble, that I'm not the hero of the story. This is not about me. This is about him. This marriage is about drawing a picture for him. It's about drawing a picture that he can show off to your children, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your friends, of who he is, of how good he is, and what he can do in our lives. Our marriages are an illustration of that, and he calls us to live that. And I know probably what some of you guys are thinking. I know you're probably thinking, well, I've tried. You know, I've tried living that. I've done the best I can to do that. That's what I've wanted to do, but it's, it's so hard. Steve, you just don't know how hard it is because I got to live with that one. You know, I, I got to put up with that one. And I've been trying, I've been trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to live for Jesus. I've been trying to draw the picture of him, but I think he's blind and can't see it. I think she's deaf, doesn't want to hear it. I, I mean, I just can't do it right. And I want to do this, Steve, but if I'm going to do this, there's going to have to be lots of changes first. Right, there's going to have to be a lot of changes in our household. He's going to have to do some changing first. She's going to have to do some changing first. And I just want to tell you, I believe God wants to make some big changes in your relationship. But what if the one that God wants to change is you? What if the one he is really out to change the most is you? What if the gospel is really not so much about your spouse or your in-laws or your coworkers or the crazy kids? What if it's about you being changed? And what if your marriage was actually designed by God to change you the most. Isn't that what he wants to do? Doesn't he want to change you? And what if it's you that he's out to change the most? I mean, can you think of a more effective tool in the hands of God than the most powerful relationship in your life? It's that relationship that God wants to use to enact the most change. I mean... You can come here to church and, and you can fake it pretty well. Everything okay over there? <laughs> Did something break? Is everybody all right? Okay. Um, you can come here to church and you can fake it pretty well. And you can fake it pretty well at work also, but you can't fake it at home. Who you are at home is who you really are. The person your spouse sees, that's who you are. The person your kids see, that's who you are. And God wants you to work out your salvation starting in your home. Because he's drawing a picture for them to see. 
So here's the big key here. Here's the big key is that maybe marriage isn't designed simply to make me happy. Next blank on your page. Marriage, real marriage, makes you holy. Real marriage makes you holy. It sanctifies you. It changes you. It helps you put on the new nature because you're not the main character in the story. After all, he is. And so instead of living your life for you, Marriage helps change you to live life for someone besides yourself. You know what? You can't do this. I can't do this. You don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. It's not in our DNA to do this. We are incapable of doing this. So how can we actually live this way? How can we actually experience a real marriage the way Jesus wants us to? Well, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he had gathered his disciples together, right? And he was talking to them about how they would live the life that he was going to the cross for them to be able to live. And here's what he says in John 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Follow me. If you, if you love me, then follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. And I'll ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate, one who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. In other words, listen, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, become everything I'm calling you to become, but you can't, you can't do it. So you need someone else. And that someone else is not your spouse, it's the Holy Spirit. And he fills you with strength, with peace that passes all understanding. He fills you with power, grace. Oh, grace. We need grace in our marriages. He fills you with patience. He fills you with wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the one that you need. The Holy Spirit is the one that when he fills you, he gives you the ability to become the spouse that God has designed for you to become. You gotta know him to walk in his wisdom. This is a huge deal for us, and it's not easy. I'm telling you, it's not a control-alt-delete. You can't just reboot into this. This takes time, effort, patience. This is one of the reasons that I'm doing this um, Know God, K-N-O-W, Know God crash course, starting on February 21st. It's just a quick four-week glance at who God really is. We're gonna take what we do here on Sunday, we're gonna go about two levels deeper. We're not gonna get Susan Farnham deep on it, but we're gonna get about two levels deeper, and for four weeks, I just want you to drink from the fire hose of what scripture says that God is all about. And I just wanna help you know him so that you can be sensitive to his work in your life, so that you can be used by him in your marriage, so that he can work the picture that he wants to draw through you. I would love for you to sign up for my Know God class. You can do it with your mobile device. You can sign up on your mobile device anytime. It starts two weeks from tonight at six o'clock right here. It's free, doesn't cost anything. 
And all you got to do is come ready to take some notes. And dude, I promise you, it'll be, you'll learn more about God in those four weeks uh, as far as what scripture says than you could probably normally learn um, anytime ever forever sitting on your butt in front of Netflix. I promise. I promise. So it'll be really, really, really good. And I'd love for you to come to that thing two weeks from tonight. Sign up on the, um, on the sign up thingy. What's that? Oh, next week is, the, oh, so it's one week from tonight. Are we going to be back in time for that? <laughs> so it's next week that it starts. Are you kidding me? Today's the 14th? Okay. <laughs> so over the next few weeks in this series on Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at the things that kill our marriages. We're going to be talking about things like pride and trust and communications and we're going to be talking about sex and finances and all that stuff. Yeah, we're, we're going to drag a lot of that stuff out. And I'm going to try to cram a lot in to these four weeks for you. But the bottom line question is this, is my life, is my marriage centered on the person of Jesus Christ? Because you can talk about all the topics you want to, but if it doesn't start with Jesus, it's going nowhere. Am I right? So am I living by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is my marriage a picture of the gospel? Am I living my marriage wisely or foolishly? Am I trashing it out or am I building something permanent, something that will last and leave a legacy for generations for his great glory? That's what this whole series is about because, and this is the last blank on your page, real marriage is centered on Jesus. Jesus.